take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll pick up the narrative together. We're also going to be in Psalm 136, so you'll need to be there. We'll spend most of our time in 136, and uh, we'll start in Philippians chapter 2. Thank you for being here. Uh, you to worship with us today as a, as a bonus, because uh, God is here in turn. We are moved and humbled that He will allow us to gather and worship. For his throne, some praises, and to remember his sacrifice in our behalf. So thank you for uh, being with us to do that. Let's start with prayer. <coughs> I first heard the story 30 years ago, um, and um, in fact, it was um, it was pretty much on a on a Sunday just like this one. Uh, that I first used it, so it's kind of an anniversary thing. If you will. Uh, back in the uh, back in the, the 17th century, there was a violinist named Niccolo Paganini, and uh, he was probably more of a showman than he was uh, a, a, a violinist, but he was a very gifted violinist. And so one night he was performing there in Italy. And he was on one side of the stage, and the, the conductor of the orchestra that was providing his background was on the other side of the stage, and, and they began to play. And this piece that they were playing was a very vigorous piece, and so they began, and Paganini began to, to do all the things that you see violinists do, and he was playing all four strings, and he was just, you know, sawing it back and forth, as I say. You know, he was sawing it back and forth and playing that thing, and the orchestra was keeping up with him, and the, and the conductor was looking at him, you know, and keeping time with him, and that kind of thing, and, and all of a sudden, the unthinkable happened, and one of the violin strings broke. Paganini looks at the conductor, the conductor looks at him and says, do you want me to stop, basically, by looking at him, and Paganini says, keep playing, and he began to improvise, as only a true musician of his caliber could, he began to improvise on three strings, and he began, and he kept playing the piece, note for note, and he kept, and he kept improvising that, and kept going, and, and, the, and the conductor was looking kind of worried, but he kept going, kind of thing, and all of a sudden, at one crescendo, another string broke, two strings, Paganini looks at the conductor, the conductor looks at him, the conductor behind goes, what do we do? And Paganini nods and keeps playing and he improvises the piece on two strings. On two strings and he's going and he's just up and down that, you know, the, 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 what's it called, the, the neck, yeah, up and down the neck of that thing. And he's going furiously and the conductor's going, I don't know about this. And, and Paganini, he's just playing for all of these work. And all of a sudden the very unthinkable thing happened and another string broke. Now, Paganini's down to one string. The conductor thinks he takes that big pause, and he says, this is surely the end. And Paganini shakes his head and says, play on. And he goes, and he, on one string, and this is a true story, on one string, he plays the rest of that ending of that whole piece on one string. When he's through, the conductor points to Paganini. Paganini holds up the violin, three strings dangling down the, and, from, the, from the violin itself, holds it up, and in true showmanship style says, Paganini! And one string. The crowd goes nuts, and they think this is the end, and he sits them down. Paganini tucks the violin under his chin, nods to the conductor. The conductor looks at him and says, okay, begins the encore, and Paganini finishes out the concert on one string. I tell you that, I tell you this. The time may come, 
It may already be here. When you feel that you're down to one strength. Think Job here. Job had a violin full of strings. He had health. He had wealth. He had family. He had God. And in the first three chapters of the book of Job. And he's down to one string. Your question is. Is Job a Paganini? And which string did he have left? I think Jesus here. Jesus, who had the whole of heaven tuned up in the orchestra of praise for his name. And the thing is, is that he had it all tuned up. And all of a sudden, God looks at him and says, it's time. And Jesus knows what has to be done. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. <coughs> that cross. Where... Jesus utters things such as, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I thirst. It is finished. But one of the things he says comes directly from the Psalms. It's Psalm 22 and verse 1. And we remember the words, but they are a direct quote when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That psalm continues by saying, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. It could be your life story. Job's losses, health, money, evaporate, betrayal, family. It can be Jesus feeling very distant from God. You want to control. You want to, to fight to survive. You, you curse the darkness. You beg for relief. You want to know some peace. And you feel like you feel like you are down to one string. I want to tell you something you already know. There is no amount of money. <coughs> going to make you feel at peace the way you want it. In fact, the proverb writer says it rather bluntly in Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5. He says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. One of my favorite theologians, Will Rogers, says it this way, they don't hook trailers to the back of hearses. You can't take it with you, friend. You can't take it with you. And it isn't health or family that gives you the strength that you need. I know. We have built this whole culture around family. Okay? A lot of people aren't here today because it's family day. Uh, let me tell you something. Psalm, uh, what is it, 38, verse 6. 
I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me. My health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. You know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every sigh. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails and I am going blind. My loved ones and friends stay away. Fearing my disease, even my own family stands at a distance. I'll tell you something, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, but if you're counting on family as your support structure in this life, it's highly overrated. Because they're not always going to be there for you when you need them the most. Now I'm going to tell you, family is important wrong. But they're not your one strength. For all the Pinterest and Twitter that's going on about it, you have your health, you have everything. Or family is the only thing that matters. Or the ever popular money doesn't make the world go round but it pays the utility bills for it to do so. You know. I know. But health, wealth, family are strings that can begin to snap. And there is only one string left that can see us through to the end to an encore with eternity. And I stand here today to tell you that that one string is gone. Psalm 136. You see, this psalm comes after Psalm 22. And not without cause, I believe. Whereas the psalmist in the beginning says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the psalms struggle. All the, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the, all those psalms in there, they struggle with, you know, my enemies are this, I've lost my faith here, kind of thing. God, I'm struggling with you. Here, I see you, but I don't know if I believe. Uh, all the struggle, Psalm 136 at the end, keeps repeating a phrase, and once you get into the rhythm of the song and realize his love endures forever, as we'll begin to read, you can't have that perspective until you allow him to walk you through the shadowed valleys in the presence of your enemies, past the pain of your own sin and the suffering that is in this world. Psalm 136 looks back and sees the durable powerful, comforting presence of God. Save those first three verses. Let's start in Psalm 136, verse 4. As creator, what I want us to see is God designs this existence we know with patient understanding and enduring love. Let's read together. Psalm 136, 4 through 9. To him alone who does great wonders... His love endures forever. Your text may say, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, his love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, his love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to rule by day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, his love endures forever. The vastness, the greatness, 
the intricacies, the splendor of the universe that envelops our daily walk make us objects of God's affection. That's how you put those two together. And God desires our worship. He wants to share our life. But only by our choice. He's still God. The universe is still His. Stars, moon, creation. He's waiting for our choice to sing with the morning stars. To smile at the break of day. To worship Him. Love waiting for us to conclude in the words of Romans 8 and verse 31. If God is for us, what could conquer us? Psalm 136 and verse 10 is hero. God goes to battle for us. To liberate us from that which enslaves us physically, spiritually, emotionally. With a mighty hand guided by a loving heart. Psalm 136, verses 10 through 15. To him who smote the Egyptians and their firstborn, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from their midst, his love endures forever. With strong hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. His love endures forever. Put yourself in that place. In the dead of night. With only the blood on the doorpost to identify you. Death stalks and strikes all around you. <coughs> What's it like to know his love protects you? Maybe we could make that more personal. At the dead end of no more choices. When the wolves are literally at the door. What's it like to be told in Exodus 14 and verse 14, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then to walk, and I would imagine this dream life, through walls of water held back by an almighty hand on dry ground, and travel away not seen by anyone else except by the hand of God. Looking back, those people are on the other side. And they are known as the people who pass through the valley of the shadow. And they look back and in Revelation chapter 15, repeats the song of Moses of Exodus 15. Where it says, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. As shepherd, God leads us through our wilderness toward a better place. And he does that with wisdom and provision and enduring love. Psalm 136 and verse 16. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. One verse, 40 years. I love the way the Bible does that. Between Genesis 50 and Exodus 1, 400 years. 
between Malachi 4 and Matthew 1, 400 years. Between you know, 136 and verse 16, 40 years. One verse. How would you like 40 years of your life summed up in one verse? We do it all the time, don't we? Do it all the time. So what is it that sums up 40 years of your life? Well, it's only one verse, and it is 40 years, but it's 40 years of being disciplined by God. Having God provide your daily bread, literally. And like a moment etched with 1 Samuel 7 and verse 12, here we raise our Ebenezer, which means simply, thus far has the Lord helped us. We too have times when we look back and we see thus far has the Lord helped us. Through personal doubt, when we wandered from the truth, when we struggled with the truth in our life, prodigal children, aging parents, struggles with sin, questions of faith, depression, physical ailments, every day waking up to the fear and not the confidence, until you come to a, a place in your life and you pause, you ponder. Hopefully you get that at some point. A place where you pause and you ponder and you look back over the landscape and you see this zigzagging journey you've been on when sometimes you just didn't get it and you didn't know where you were going but you just kept following the direction of God and you just kind of stepped out there sometimes again in like almost a dream but you never lost the faith that said I just got to keep going. quiet spot of the everyday problems and you look back to realize that for all of those years there's a loving God who never gave up on you, never quit on you, never left you in that wilderness until he could lead you home to this place and if you will only follow him he'll take you all the way to the promised land chosen for you. Psalm 136 verse 17. As commander and champion, God defeats our enemies so that his enduring love can prove itself by the words of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, providing an inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. Verses 17 through 22. To him who smote great kings, his love endures forever. And slew mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, his love endures forever. Even a heritage to Israel, his servant, his love endures forever. That means absolutely nothing to us, unless you know the story. Sihon, king of the Amorites, he was the fellow, all right, who had at his disposal such an army that he arrayed them against, uh, set them out and before the Israelites and refused to let them pass through his land. These are the people, 
and Sihon and Og, the last of the Nephilim, okay, the last of the Rephaelites, the last of those huge people, Og, king of Bashan, okay, who slept on a bed, it is told us in, in the book of Numbers, that was 13 feet long, meaning that Og was probably around 10 feet tall, about the size of a Goliath. And so the big man comes out there with his armies, and Sihon comes out with his armies, and the giants are facing the Israelites. And you know what? Sometimes we face that too, don't we? People oppose us. Things you know, stand before us, and we think there is no way we're going to conquer that. And you know what? You've got a nation full of people who never trained to fight. They never trained to fight. They were slaves that had been freed, who'd been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And now you have this army set before you, and the big giants are out there, and God defeats their enemies. But what does that mean for you and me? When you are in a land where the giants rule against you, stand against you, threaten to keep you from God's desire for you, do not fear. First John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now I want to tell you something. What's the biggest thing that God could conquer in your, in your life that would prove to you that God is stronger than anything else that you face? And I would suggest to you that it would be death. It's what scares all of us. I don't, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, after death doesn't bother me. I'm in God's hands at that time, and I feel great because, you know what, He's chosen to save me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I've been immersed in the blood of Jesus, and I raised from the waters, He washed away my sins. I stand before you as somebody who has a confidence that I am God's child. Now, that doesn't bother me. The dying part of it, that bothers me. Okay. But having said that, what if I told you that God conquered death at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus? You say, well, sin scares me because I don't want that to keep me out of heaven. And what if I told you that at the cross, Jesus conquered sin because he paid the atonement, the price, the sacrifice that was due God for our sin by his blood? And then what if I told you, you know, Satan scares me. Because I'm afraid he would trick me or, or lead me away from God. What if I told you, according to Hebrews chapter 2, that the Hebrew writer said, this great salvation that we have, and understand that Satan has been defeated, that death has been defeated, that sin has been defeated, and all the big three are done. The big giants are taken care of. Now, God can take care of that. Tell me, what is it that keeps you from God? Tell me, what is it that's going to cause you to turn around and stop following God? What is it that you can possibly have in your life that is big enough to cause you to give up your faith? And I tell you today, whatever you think it is, somebody who scoffs at your faith, somebody who ridicules what you believe, somebody that passes a law that says you can't do something, for Jesus. Somebody that, that you know threatens to take away your freedom or threatens to take away the things that, that mean the most to you. What is that? What is that? Is not God bigger than those who oppose us? Does 
that not make you thrill in your heart? To walk behind a God who goes before us, looks at the giants, and laughs. I'm always fond of the story of David and Goliath when I tell it to my junior high kids. Because I tell them, I said, you know, when, when David went to the brook, he took out five stones and put them in his pouch. I said, why did he take out five stones? They go, he was afraid he was going to miss. I said, oh, no. The rock was guided by God. He couldn't miss. I said, the text tells you that Goliath had four brothers. And David knew if he killed Goliath, the brothers were coming after him. He was just loaded for bear. And let me tell you the rest of that story. I love telling this part. To I said, David didn't go down there thinking, you know, he's so big, what am I going to do? David was going down there saying, he's so big, how can I miss? And I want to tell you, the giants in your life, with a God like ours, how can we miss? If we believe that his love endures forever. Psalm 136, verse 23. As our hope, God remembers us, frees us, and gives us what we need from his enduring love. Let's read verses 23 through 26. Who remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. And has rescued us from our adversaries. His love endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. You may not see now. Because, and I like to say it this way. You're holding your breath. It's like Peter walking on that water. right? And he begins to sink. What do you think he did? Yes, I think he cried out, Lord, save me. Yes, I, it's in the text. But I think after he said that, he started to hold his breath. Don't you? He was going down. What would you do? Jonah in the belly of the fish. Don't you think there was a point where he felt like he was holding his breath? And you are doing the same thing in your life. You keep hoping things are going to get better and you're holding your breath. You keep seeing things that are, are going on around you and it's so negative and so oppressive and you're holding your breath. And you feel like you're holding breath. Now what I want to tell you right now is let it go. Breathe. His love endures forever. He's going to take care of you. And you're saying, Scott, you don't know what I'm facing. Let me ask you. Anybody in here over the age of seven? Anybody over the age of seven? Jackson Spurlock is over the age of seven. <laughs> Thank you, Jackson. Now, over the age of seven, could I say his love endures forever? Good, couldn't I? Anybody here over the age of 60? No. Over the age of 60? Yeah. Can I say his love endures forever? Anybody here over the age of 50? In the short time I've been allowed to live, let me tell you young people something. I don't have all the answers. I realize I have never been in control as much as I want to be. But what I have come to realize is there is nothing that God cannot conquer, and He always takes care of it. Amen? Let's draw this to close. God is my hope. I have seen Him do things beyond explanation, from timing to the 
people he sent into my life, to explanations beyond my understanding. Psalm 22 begs, where is God when you need him most? And so too, we are down to our one strength. Hoping furiously, playing furiously that the one thing we trust to finish out our song of life is this God in whom we have put our trust. And Psalm 136 looks back over such a life so lived, concluding, He has always been there for me. Now read 136 verses 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. He is God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. His good. And may we say that toward us, His love endures forever. Amen? With my fears behind me, my faith within me, my future secure before me in the hands of our God and Almighty God. I think today I want to challenge you. Are you ready for an encore? Let's go out and show people what God can do in this life. That begins with a commitment. you got to get with God before He can leave you. That means that some of you need to be baptized into Christ. That means some of you need to repent of sin. Last week we prayed together for those of us who are facing things that are overwhelming to us. If that needs to be your prayer, we're here to help. Whatever response you need to make so that God's love can endure forever to you. Would you come to the front and make your need known together?